Hey, welcome to Monday Post, the post-sermon, post-Sunday recap show from Normandale. It's Mason. It's actually early edition um, of the Monday Post uh, podcast. I'm reporting this on Sunday evening uh, because I'm going to be driving to Houston tomorrow morning. Um, So all this stuff is super fresh on my mind. Uh, So there's a lot to get through, um, but I don't want to take up a ton of time, and so we're going to try to get through a lot of stuff quickly. Now, we talked about the unveiling of God, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, uh, the beginning of this gospel. Now, we went to this gospel because I personally just needed—I wanted to get back to a gospel for a little bit. I I personally, just where I'm at spiritually and everything, I just was like, I just want to get back to, like— the teachings of Jesus and the narrative of his life. And so I was like, let's just do that. And so I scrapped our plan, went back to this for the semester, and we are going to fly through this book. We are not going to hit every passage at all. We are going to get through it uh, in 15 weeks. We're going to do the entire book. And so uh, it's going to be a good and fast time. And so I'm, I'm excited about it, excited to be back in a gospel like this. So uh, we talked about the beginning passage, the beginning uh, section of this book, which, as I said in the sermon, was like a literary masterpiece of a, of a poem or of a prologue, because John just fits so much stuff into this. Now, he's got this structure in it called a chiastic structure, a chiasm, um, in which what that means is the whole thing uh, functions to where like the first verse and the last verse correspond with another. And then the second verse and the second to last verse correspond with one another and so on. All the way leading to this middle verse, which is the hinge point of the text, which is kind of his main aim or main point, which was verse 12 here, which was to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. And so, um, so that was John's main kind of ending point. What he was trying to get us to take away is that God is a father who has a son, and the son came for us in order to make those who believe his children also. And so it's a very evangelistic message from John. But here's what's crazy. Here's where I talk about being a literary masterpiece. Is not only did he have that chiastic structure there set up in that way for the whole prologue, he's also got it just for the first verse, um, and or the first two verses, and and he's also got these throughout the book. But like the first two verses is he's got in the beginning was the word. Well, that corresponds with he was with God in the beginning, and uh, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Those each correspond with each other, and uh, and so it's 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 a pretty cool system how he's got it set up. Now that lends us to. Uh, really take into account or really come to understand that the writers of the New Testament text, the writers of any of the the scriptures, were not just like willy-nilly about it, or they were not just, um, just you know, in a trance, like to where they were just had a notebook out, and all of a sudden the Spirit came, and they just wrote whatever the Spirit told them to write, and that was the end of it. Like, no, these guys spent time and years working on and editing their texts and, and getting exactly what they wanted to say. And all of that process doesn't negate the work of the Spirit. The Spirit can work in someone taking their time just as quick, just as easily as someone who's rushing through something. In fact, if you want to see evidence of that, look at how God has brought about salvation to us. He didn't do that in one day. He did it over the course of thousands of years. And so God's not against people taking their time. And so these disciples who wrote these New Testament books for us also took their time and used sources and edited the thing in order to make it exactly what they were trying to say about Jesus 
And uh, and so John did that here, and um, and these guys were brilliant. They had to have been brilliant. All these disciples who who wrote this stuff, like we have this image of these guys as uneducated, um, not that smart. You know, just kind of we have this you know image of kind of that about Peter. We kind of make fun of him a little bit, and um, but that idea comes from the Book of Acts, where he says you know the the um, the priest or whoever looked at the disciples and said they were uneducated, untrained men, and so we take that to think. They were uneducated. They were not as bright, or they didn't they didn't know as much as other people. But that's not true. That statement was a dig at Jesus, which because what they're saying is these guys who are preaching, the disciples, didn't train at our places with our people. They trained with Rabbi Jesus instead, and he wasn't legitimate to the Jewish hierarchy, the Jewish the Jewish uh, uh, you know very high people. And so they were trying to take a dig at these guys. They're like, they didn't study with this. How could they teach like the way that they are? Well, it's because they were with Rabbi Jesus, and he was brilliant, and he taught brilliant people. And, uh, and so, man, their works are just crazy uh, in terms of their literary structure and what all they can pack into these things and how many Old Testament uh, allusions they can put into their things and No Testament quotations. They, they, these guys knew their Bible, and they knew literary structure. They were very, very, very brilliant. Um, and so all that to say, there's a lot going on in here. There's so much that I did not get to in these first 18 verses that I just, you just physically can't in one sermon. Like I said this morning, you could do an entire sermon series just on these first 18 verses. Um, but we're not cause we're doing a flyover of the gospel. So that's our one and only sermon at this time. Maybe one day we'll come back and do a series just on these verse 18 verses and really dig into them. Uh, but there's a couple other things that are involved within these first 18 verses. Um, one is it introduces a ton of themes that we see all throughout the gospel. So, for example, we've got one about him being the word. Uh, we got, the, and corresponding with that, we've got him being the revealer of who God is, the, the, the one who is the image of God, who reveals exactly what God is like uh, to his people. And so uh, he's doing that. Uh, there's another one about light versus darkness, and you see this as uh, uh, he is the light who comes in. You see darkness is the one who's who's uh, guiding the people who reject Jesus, and there is this battle between him as the light and the darkness that is uh, the positive darkness inside of or uh, working in those who don't believe and who reject Jesus, and there's this battle between them. Uh, taking place. And, and there's also the theme of witness. So we, we didn't talk about it this morning, but uh, verses 6 and verse uh, 15 both talk about John the Baptist coming. And the reason he's in two sections is part of the chiastic structure. Those correspond with one another, verse 6 and verse 15. But there's a man who's, who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. And there's this whole idea, this whole theme throughout the Gospel of John about being a witness to the light, a witness to Christ, a witness to the Gospel, and testifying to what you've seen, testifying to what you know in order to lead other people to believe. That's a major theme in this Gospel that we'll see as we go through it. Um, and so there's, a, there's a, ton of, a ton of themes that are just happening in here. Um, another one is being born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? We see that with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in which he says, you need to become born again. And, uh, and what Nicodemus is like, how can you do that? And then he says, well, you know, it's the Spirit of God. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. But how he works is a mystery. And, uh, and so, um, so you see that, those themes carrying on throughout the gospel as well. So, there's a lot of stuff happening in this, these 18 verses that we did not hit, but are, we'll see these different themes as we progress through, through the book. Now, 
One thing that I talked about um, this morning was how Jesus was the second person who was there in creation and how he revealed that someone else was there and that God is a father and that he's the son and both of them are God. But you might be asking yourself, well, where's the spirit? How come he didn't, wasn't mentioned it here? Like how come he wasn't mentioned at this time? Well, John's point here was about Jesus initially. So it's all about the one who came for us, the one in whom we must believe in order to attain eternal life, to, to become, to really know God and to become his child. It's all about knowing who Jesus is. So that was his main thing right here is introducing the son. But the spirit is present all throughout the book, and John is progressively going to teach us more and more about it, starting in chapter 3. And so in chapter 3 is when Nicodemus comes. He says, how can you be reborn? How can you be reborn of God? Like, can you crawl back into your mother's womb? And Jesus is like, no, it's the work of the Spirit. Also in chapter 7, verses 38, he says, this is with the streams. This is what he talks about in, in John chapter 4 with the woman. Uh, he, he picks up that same again, theme again in chapter 7, verse 38, talking about the streams of water that, that, that flow out of the person who believes in Christ. What is the stream of water that fills up that person? It's the Spirit of God. Um, also, chapter 14 through 16, he talks about the counselor who's going to come. And so the Spirit of God is at work all throughout this book um, as the third person of the Trinity that we will see as we go. We are absolutely going to hit the theme of the Spirit of God. Um, and who the Spirit is and what He does in our lives and in our world as we go through this gospel. Um, and so, man, there's a ton, ton here. Now, here's the last thing that I wanted to talk about. And I, I know that I'm, one, I know I'm talking fast. I know I'm blowing through this information and not giving a ton of information uh, or unpacking each of these things. I understand that. Um, um, but we'll get to them as we get through, as we work our way through the gospel. But the, here's the last thing. In the Greek... Um, there is a construction that has caused some people uh, some anxiety. And, and this comes particularly from uh, other, other uh, cult um, beliefs about who Jesus is and, and the Bible. And so uh, when you come to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, um, say, for example, Jehovah's Witness, they will come and they will say, well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And if you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, and they're like, well, no, it says a God. You're like, well, wh- what, do you, what do you mean? How, you know, and they say, no, there's not an article there. It means that he is a God. He's not the God. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to answer that? Because I don't know Greek. Well, let me break this stuff down for you real quick. Okay, so in the Greek, in that passage, they are absolutely right. The word God, when it comes to, and the word was God, does not have an article. Now, what an article is, is the word the. In English, we have two. We have the definite and the indefinite article. We have the and we have a. So we have a God or we have the God. Um, The is definite. A God is indefinite. And so in Greek, you only have one article. It's either the word the or you have nothing. And if you have nothing, it just means a. And it's not any particular God. It's just a God. And, uh, And so... That's kind of the general how, how articles work. But Greek is different than English in that um, the, how you construct a sentence doesn't matter in terms, like it doesn't matter where a word is in the sentence. That doesn't tell you how it's functioning within the sentence. So I'm getting, I know I'm getting into deeper level stuff here that if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the language um, or grammar or anything like that, that you're going to feel like, wow, what's going on here? Um, just if you're, if you're interested in this, just follow along. So how this works, in that particular clause, it says, and the word was God. 
The word theos, which is the word God, does not have the article. And it doesn't have the article because of how John, one, is structuring the chiasm of these first two verses. But two, it doesn't have the article because of how theos is functioning within that particular clause. So logos has the word word, has the article because it is functioning as the subject of the sentence. The word theos does not have the article because it is functioning in the predicate of the sentence. If theos and logos both had the article, the word the in front of it, then it would be, you would not be able to tell what is functioning as the subject of the sentence and what is functioning as the predicate of the sentence. And so if you read it, it if it had the article, it could be, and God was the word, and the word was, or you could say, and the word was God. And you don't know which one's correct, the correct reading, because both of them have the article, so both of them could be the subject. Well, John took that confusion out of the way because he's like, I don't want you to read this as, and God was the word. The reason you don't want to read it that way is because the word is not all that encompasses all that is God. God is bigger than simply the word. But, If you read it this way, and the word was God, John's like, that's how I want you to read it, because that is correct. The word is God, but the word is not all that encompasses God. There's more there. There's more people there, more more persons there that, that make up what God is. And so John is being very selective, very correct in how he's writing this clause out to prevent our confusion over how to read this text. Now, you might have a Jehovah's Witness look at this and say, no, 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 there's no article. It means the word was a God. And so the answer, like, how how do you respond? What do you do? Well, this first verse does not actually give you any conclusive evidence one way or the other, whether the correct reading is, and the word was God, or, and the word was a God. There's not conclusive evidence in this verse in and of itself. What we have to do is we have to look at the context. Uh, of where the verse is. And we, uh, looking at the context, we know that he's talking about God himself. And there are other ways in which John uses words, definite words, in the same way without the article, just in the same chapter. So go down to chapter 1, look at verse 49. He's talking to Philip and Nathaniel. He he goes to to Nathaniel, and he says, uh, let me pull it up right here, 149. All right, so he goes to he goes to Nathaniel and he says, "Hey, listen, I saw you under the fig tree." Um, and Nathaniel's like, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." The King there is definite. We know, hey, he's talking about the King of Israel. He's not talking about a King. You know, you're the Son of God. You're a King of Israel. That doesn't work because there's no such thing as a King of Israel. You're either the King of Israel or you're not the King of Israel. And, uh, but here's the thing. In the Greek, the word king there doesn't have the article. And so we have evidence just in this first chapter alone of John using definite words without the definite article. And so there's evidence there that this first, this and the word was God, is uh, a definite use of the article talking about the word is God himself, not the word is a God or a separate God. Um, the second thing, the second way that you would respond to that is in addition to there being another use of an indefinite word meaning, or inde- a word without the article being a definite, ar- definite word, is you have, 
so many other uses um, or so many other evidences in the gospel itself over Jesus claiming to be God, to being the I and the Father are one. And, uh, um, or, or you know, he's talking about um, uh, I am. So, so there's so many passages in, in the Gospel of John in which he says, I am. And what is he referring to? Well, that's what God called himself in, in Exodus. He said, you know, tell Pharaoh, I am who I am. Well, Jesus is claiming that title for himself all throughout this gospel. And so Jesus is either correct or he's blasphemous. Um, and so uh, so there's so many different places in this gospel where, where Jesus is making it very clear that he is God himself. And so, um, so there's a couple different answers that you can have for that. But that's what's happening in that text. Um, there is a very real, very um, legitimate answer to the word was a God. And, and that's not a legitimate reading. No, no Greek scholar would look at that and say, yeah, that's legitimate. Um, because that's not the way that the text is, is, is guiding us to, to, to believe about that. John doesn't have the article there because he wants you to be clear on how that clause is functioning. He wants you to know that the word is the subject, not God. And so that's, that's why that's functioning in that manner. And so I hope that's helpful to you. I hope I didn't confuse you on that. Um, but if I did, and you want more, more clarity on that, man, I would love to talk to you more about that. Just let me know, uh, catch me on Sunday and I will sit down with you and show you exactly what I'm talking about with the languages. And so that way you can be clear on, on, on what's going on with that text. So you don't have any reason to fear or fret about the proper translation of that, your Bible, the CSV or the ESV or the NIV or the NASB, whatever it's got translates it correctly. Um, in that the word is, or was God. And so, um, so you don't have anything to worry about uh, with alternative translations of that. There's not debate over whether that's the correct way. That, that is the correct way to interpret that. Uh, so Jesus is God. He is um, part of the Trinity, and it's not a separate being or a lesser being or just divine. Um, he is God. And so um, that's, what, that's what you should take away from that, that first verse. Now, with that, I hope this is helpful for you. Um, and... Uh, looks like this may have been clipping a lot. I'm sorry if it doesn't sound that great. I'm not going to redo this because I'm tired and I want to go home. Um, so, hey, uh, I will uh, see you guys gonna, when I get back from Houston. See you guys on Wednesday at our church meal. Uh, so see you then. Bye.